When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you becomes fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid or undone. There are days when you wake up happy, days when you have your heart back and you're able to function well until in the middle of work or an encounter, suddenly with no warning you are ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can depend on now is that sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows its way. This is an excerpt from a poem that I have read countless times to families, to church members, to youth, to adults, all who are wrestling with grief, anyone who's experienced a death or some profound loss. It's a, it's, it is a poem that carves a little opening so that we can make our way together into the deep waters of grief and take time to honor the ways of sadness. Oftentimes, as I read this poem by John O'Donohue, I wonder, is this too much? Does this cut a little too close to the bone? But invariably, when I lift my eyes from the page, I find the other person nodding, or even smiling with tears in their eyes. Invariably, there is some kind of silent thank you we exchange. Thank you for seeing. Thank you for naming. Thank you for not looking away. We live in a grief-averse culture, a culture that cannot seem to tolerate the real dynamics of what it is to be alive and human. If we've experienced a death, we aren't supposed to be sad too long. If we are mourning the loss of an opportunity or a dream, we're told to get over it and move on. If we feel horror and agony at one more death caused by gun violence or the murder of a black or brown-skinned person during a traffic stop, we're told we are overreacting. If we fall to our knees as another great ice shelf sloughs into the sea, we are handed some new technology to distract and anesthetize us against the Earth's lament and our own. Over and over again, in a myriad of different ways, our consumer culture tries to convince us that we can get out of feeling loss, or at least compress it into something nice and neat and manageable, that we can somehow outmaneuver death. But my friends, you and I know that that is not real life. 
That is flat line living. That is living a half life. And as a person of faith, it is something I wholeheartedly reject and challenge. For some of us, grief and sadness is something we want to avoid altogether. We just don't want to go there. For some in this room, grief is a constant companion because to be black or brown-skinned in this country means your humanity is under constant attack and mourning comes in all shapes and sizes, manner, and form. For others, grief is a baseline, the combination of brain chemistry and anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, or the death of someone beloved that makes you feel as if you are grief, that there is no separation between you and heartache. Maybe it's a combination of all or some of the, some of the above or more. Let's be honest. Grief is a wild and feral thing. On the one hand, some of us need to get closer to that wildness and others desperately need respite, a space to breathe. But whatever your context today, one of the central purposes of the religious life is to become more fully alive and that means wrestling with grief and opening our hearts to what it has to teach. Because that is an awakened life. In his book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, white author and psychotherapist Francis Weller writes about the five gates of grief. Each gate, he says, is an entry point into the deep waters of sorrow, but they are also thresholds into the full experience of life and an activated soul, because grief and aliveness are deeply bound together, whether we like it or not. The first gate he calls, everything we love, we lose. There's no getting around it. Death touches us all. Loss is the price of love. This is really the only gate our culture acknowledges as legitimate. We understand needing time to step away or move in a different life rhythm when death comes knocking. But there are four other gates of grief, Weller points to, that are important to befriend and would enliven our lives if only we would be willing to cross those thresholds. The second gate he calls the places that have not known love. The places that have not known love. These are the parts of you that were not loved, the parts of you that were not welcomed into the first circles of community in which you were born. Your family, your friends, society, the faith tradition you were brought up in, for myself, I grieve the loss of certain kinds of trust, a trust in my own perceptions, a trust that I have a rightful place in the circle of things. This threshold is different for everyone. We carry it differently. We move through the threshold differently because this gateway is framed by our place and positions in our family and in our society. 
that was built on all kinds of hurtful and devastating isms. This threshold is an opportunity to welcome yourself as whole and holy, even those parts of yourself that you may have once named as shameful. Sit and think on this for just a moment. What grief do you hold for your unwelcomed self? The third gate Weller calls the sorrows of the world. The cycle of life is played out everywhere around us and death is part and parcel of that dance. We see a deer crumpled along the side of the road and we gasp. We are connected to that death, even though we are told in so many ways that we are not, that we are not a part of nature, that the world is spiritless. We are realizing more and more the wisdom of the ancients and the indigenous peoples. We are understanding that, that humanity is part of the anima mundi, or world soul. We are nature. We are the natural world. Its sorrows are our sorrows. The changing forests, the algae-strangled lakes, the oceans littered with islands of plastic. This is a grief that is real and offers us a chance to live a more connected and truthful life. Sit with this for a moment. What is a world sorrow you are holding right now? The fourth gate is called what we expected but did not receive. This may be a life you had envisioned for yourself that has not come to pass. It might be a marriage or a relationship that you thought would last a lifetime and ended instead in separation. It might be a betrayal or a dream that never came to fruition. Sit with this for a moment. What is something you expected out of life and did not receive? The last gate Weller calls ancestral grief. It is the sorrows passed to us by our people, whoever they are, whether we can name them or not. The sorrows of living and losing passed through the centuries. Oppression and poverty, leaving a place by choice or being forced off the land, bearing up when so much was bearing down, 
losing languages, losing healing traditions, losing ways of making food, losing cohesive community. Lately, I've been feeling the grief of my ancestors who traded authentic culture for whiteness and privilege. It is not a grief that is comparable to the ongoing and oppressive grief lived by my black and brown friends and siblings, but acknowledging my own ancestral grief has been a soul-deepening part of my racial justice work. Like the sorrows of the world, we carry the tears of our ancestors. Sit with this for a moment. What are the sorrows of your people? Whatever threshold you may be standing at, whatever grief is with you today, this is your gateway into an awakened soul. Life may become strange. It may seem as if the ground beneath you becomes fragile. Still, sorrow knows its own way. Trust it. The wise ones of old and the contemporary thinkers of today say the same thing in different ways. Grief and aliveness are infinitely, intimately connected. When I think of this service that is becoming a tradition of First Universalist Church, this Remembrance Sunday of naming and holding grief as a community, I am heartened for our sakes and the sake of the world we are creating and participating in a countercultural act that invites us into the work of the soul, and it is work in which the world is in desperate need. Grief is not to be undertaken as a solitary enterprise. Certainly, there are times and places to retreat into our own solitude, but grief and all its gateways must be held in the arms of the community. Today, as you hold your own sorrows, turn to trustworthy companions. Turn to your friends, turn to your community, turn to this community of faith, turn to our pastoral visitors who wear red ribbons and are trained in the work of spiritual accompaniment, Turn to a minister. This is the way to open-hearted living and our fullest aliveness. And it can be done together. May it be so. And amen.